We're back, and we are continuing a really topical and I think vitally important conversation with a man who I've come to really respect as a duty expert on the challenges of food security and conversely, the dangers of food insecurity. Uh, Ross Kennedy is his name of Fortis Analysis. Uh, So you were talking about how we've sort of bought into this idea that we could engage with others and we could become effectively dependent upon them for an enormous amount of uh, foodstuffs. Um, Talk specifically about how the Chinese have really moved into the production of fertilizers and amino acids and uh, what they haven't got us dependent on over there, they've been buying up here. Yeah, of course. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. So China in, in uh, you know, 20 years ago uh, really started making a heavily subsidized push uh, into industrialized food ingredients, feed ingredients and fertilizers and chemicals and food security going back as, as, as long as anybody can really remember, certainly from the beginning of the 20th century, food security has been a major challenge for, for China. China is only 8% arable. You know, so it, it's a huge landmass, but only 8% of the land is actually in some way uh, suitable for cultivation of agriculture products. So uh, it's a country that has dealt frequently uh, you know, with famine over the centuries, but in particular under the communist regime, uh, Mao's Great Leap Forward, of course, 20 to 40 million dead. Uh, or, you know, I think I may even be off by an order of magnitude there, but uh, it was an enormous amount of people that, that was, that was killed from the attempt to, uh, centralize and, and, and centrally plan and manage agriculture production. And as, as we got into the 21st century, the recognition came that the ability of the ability of technology and industrial ingredients and, and compounds and chemicals to enhance yield, strengthen the food supply, and they went all in on it. Uh, China is a, a massively subsidized economy when it comes to corn processing, soybean processing, making of fertilizers, which is a, a very uh, heavy, you know, heavy duty chemical process, requires a lot of energy. And so they've been able to very inexpensively grow and export uh, a lot of these products into the global market. And so whereas in the United States, we used to produce most of our own fertilizers, what we couldn't get from here, we occasionally would have to buy from Russia or from Africa or from Canada. Uh, now we're in a situation where we don't buy a lot of fertilizer products from China, uh, but the rest of the world buys a lot of fertilizer products from China, in particular, various phosphorus products, uh, very ni- you know, various nitrogen-based products, urea in particular, which is a major industrial ingredient, not just in fertilizer, but in other applications too. So as China has begun to clamp down on exports of these vital ingredients, it has created a worldwide shortage and disruption to supply which means that what the United States does buy overseas now is more expensive and more difficult to procure. We're competing with more buyers for it. On the food side, uh, you know, China in 2017, 2018 dealt with African swine fever, wiped out an enormous, uh, over half of their swine population. Uh, China consumes uh, pork as its primary protein. Uh, the next closest is poultry, but for every four pounds of pork consumed in China, it's about one pound of chicken. And then you've got beef and fish behind that. So this is a country that consumes a lot of food because it's got a lot of mouths to feed, manufactures a lot of ingredients. But when they lost their primary protein source, they began to hoard uh, enormous quantities of of grains and oil seeds uh, in order to A, reconstitute their hog population, 
but B, to secure supplies of vital cereals and oil seeds. Uh, and at some point, though, they went from hoarding to uh, provide for food security to hoarding as a means of controlling available supplies of product on the global market and use that as a geoeconomic and geopolitical lever. So talk about the degree to which they've complemented all of that with actually purchasing up um, well, pork manufacturers like Smithfield Hams, for example, and uh, and this uh, outfit Fufeng USA up in North Dakota. Um, how do those operations, which have involved investments in this country, played into this larger design of theirs to make us dependent and and become dominant, really, in the food? production area. Yeah, so Smithfield was a was a great example of of a uh, the the globalization, you know, the deal with the globalized devil that we've made saying, well, we don't really see a problem with our number one pork producing company, really one of our top 5 food manufacturers in the US being bought up by China. And that deal started in 2013. It was approved by CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the US in 2014. Uh, Tom Vilsack was the Secretary of Agriculture at the time. He was a big proponent of that deal. Uh, which is ironic. He's from Iowa and there's an awful lot of uh, pork producers in Iowa. But the we didn't see, obviously in 2014, a geostrategic angle to control by China of one of our largest food manufacturers. And now what we've seen is, yes, yeah, Smithfield is still dominant in the US market, but they export a lot of product over to China as well. From Fufang's side, what we're talking about here is the inverse of cheap transportation being able to be used to make something here and transport it back to China. The United States uh, historically is very cheap to export from. Uh, a lot of the revenue derived by the ocean carriers comes from the inbound or the import side. So they just want to get the boxes back overseas, the containers. It's very inexpensive to do that historically. So that was what drove that deal. Make the stuff here and inexpensively you know, send it back to China. The Fufang And deal, what is the stuff that uh, Fufang is making? So Fufang is a uh, food ingredient and amino acid producer. So that's uh, really two different things. We have xanthan gum, uh, which is what's known as a texturizer or a starch product. It's made from corn. Uh, monosodium glutamate as well, which is a legendarily uh, a cheap ingredient that's used as an as a, as a organic compound in food production, very heavily utilized. But they also make things like lysine, threonine, tryptophan, valine. All of these are uh, manufactured, uh, very heavy industrial, it's what's called biofermentation, where uh, a sugar stream, in this case, corn, uh, wet from the wet milling process we use in the US, is fed to certain bacteria in a high nitrogen environment. And these bacteria eat that sugar, that glucose or dextrose stream, and they secrete these amino acids. They're, they're little tiny biological organisms programmed to do that. We're, we're down in the weeds on this a little bit, but just very quickly, how important are those amino acids to the food production business. And if, if, that, if that's actually all going to leave the country, which as I understand it is basically the Chinese plan, what will that mean in terms of meeting our own demands? Uh, it's it's uh, significant. With the United States is already 60 to 65% dependent uh, on China for import of these ingredients. And now with, with a Chinese firm for the first time coming into the manufacturing space in the US, like Fufang is planning to do in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Now what you're seeing is American energy and American corn being turned into a product that is exportable. If we don't have amino acids uh, in our animals' diets, we lose 20% or more production on a per animal basis. 
So this is an important national capability. And if they own it and can determine whether it's sold here or sold there, uh, that may not only deprive us of some of these uh, valuable products, but also perhaps mean that a good part of our production that goes into making those products, uh, corn or whatever, is uh, no longer available for domestic purposes. If that plant gets built, it will be 10 to 15% of our total U.S. production of these ingredients. So uh, we're just about out of time, Ross, and I'm sorry to say we didn't get to what I really wanted to talk with you about, so I hope we can get you back soon, which is what do we do about all this? Because obviously this is a multifaceted problem that has lots of moving parts. Um, I think you understand it uh, better than anybody I've encountered, that's for sure. And to the extent that you've got experience in not only trying to manage these factors so as to assure that uh, the firm you work for can indeed meet its production requirements, but also the national requirements. Um, You're a real national treasure. And I look forward to, as I say, having an opportunity to both make sure that we're as up to date on this as we can be. If those store shelves are emptying, um, it'll be getting a lot more attention, of course, but also to get your thoughts about what the United States as a nation uh, must do to try to assure that we're meeting those uh, three critical needs, as you say, for food security, as well as, of course, potable water and, and energy. God bless you, my friend. Come back to us again soon, if you would. Next up, we're going to talk with Carolyn Glick. We're going to get an update from her on some very troubling developments in the Middle East and what it might mean for all of us right after this. <laughs> 